This week's guest went from wondering why the heck she and her husband moved to Manchester, New Hampshire, to becoming one of its biggest boosters. We discover how and why Liz Hitchcock decided to open several businesses in the Queen City, including a bookstore and renovating a mill space into apartments and an artist's haven. I'm Matt Mary, co-publisher and executive editor of Business NH Magazine and Granite Media Group. And I'm Christine Kerrigan, co-publisher of Business NH Magazine and chief creative officer for Granite Media Group, and welcome to BizCast NH. So I'm very excited for today's interview. Me too, yes. And in the spirit of our guest, Mm -hmm. I thought we would talk a little bit about arts in our lives, in our communities, because Liz is such a big booster (laughs) for the arts. Yeah. And I know you, I mean, you created a career out of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited to talk about that. Um, I have uh, my degree from college. I have a a Bachelor of Fine Arts um, in visual communications. I was focused on photography, but a visual communications degree. Um, And the arts have just been a part of my life, my whole life, basically. Um, uh, Visual arts, the uh, theater, theater arts. I was a a drama kid. (laughs) Still a drama kid. Um, (laughs) But Um, I mean, you are part of the community board over at the Palace. Yes. Yep. Community advisory board at the Palace Theater. Yeah. And I just think, you know, I love going to plays. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is something I love. And I love that I don't always have to go to Boston in order to enjoy a Broadway play or go to a great concert that New Hampshire venues have just come such a long way in bringing great productions right in our backyard. And it's so nice to just be able to like, I live in Rochester. I can go, instead of going an hour to Boston, dealing with traffic and Boston prices and all that, I can go to Concord. I can go to Portsmouth. I can go to Manchester. I can find parking. I can find a great restaurant and I can get to the venue on time Mm -hmm. and get home and not be exhausted by the whole process of it, but just go and enjoy these great things. And so... you know, I think going to going to the theater and seeing shows and, and art in that aspect is really important because it can be a, a form of escapism. And I think especially nowadays when there's so much stress in people's lives, having those two hours to kind of take you away from everything and just focus on something else and just have something that you can enjoy and kind of get out of your day to day. I think it's great for stress levels. I think there are so many reasons that the arts are important. Um, you know, sometimes it gets shoved off into a side corner. I mean, you see with schools, people cutting arts, arts programs because it's just art. But there are so many reasons why the arts are important. I think it's especially important for people's mental health, for people just to work through their own um issues and situations. I mean, art therapy, you know what I mean? If you can't right. vocalize what issue you're having, art therapy is a great way to help get out those feelings and kind of work through that. So you can, I could talk about this. You for can a explore <laughs> what's going on in your life through the arts, or you can escape it for a few hours through the arts. Definitely. Either way, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been transformative for my kids. Yeah. You know, my oldest son, Cassidy, has come a long way since middle school, where it was very turbulent. And now he's in high school and doing well. And one of the consistent things was band. Mm-hmm. And he's so involved with band in the high school. They have such a great program it has helped to connect him with kids with like interests that has given him more purpose i've just seen how that has helped transform him Mm -hmm. 
and it's so powerful. And even this past weekend, I mean, we went to go see Wonka with my youngest. Mm-hmm. And is it the greatest piece of art around? No. But was it great escapism? And it was this great musical. It was theatrical. And I turned several times to look at my youngest, who in other movies, you know, he loves superhero movies, but he will halfway be through, be squirmy and bored and asking for popcorn. And all through Wonka with all these wonderful songs, I'm looking at him and he's just enraptured and big eyed and just so engrossed in the movie and the emotions of it and the wonder of it. And I just thought, that's what this is all about. That That's that wonderful two hours that even though we're in movie theater, we're sharing these moments together. He's looking at me and talking about something excitedly that he liked. And, you know, we have to hush him down a bit. But, <laughs> it, you know, and he was excited afterwards. And it's mm-hmm. just those moments that arts can create for you. And we could yes. go on and on, but yes. we should because we got but so much to But let's talk to our guest about that, too. <laughs> Uh, So this week, our guest is Liz Hitchcock. She is an eclectic entrepreneur and arts and culture enthusiast who was recently proclaimed as the hype woman of Manchester. Liz started Bookery Manchester in 2018, an independent bookstore and gathering place that encourages the exchange of ideas through literature and community events. Most recently, she has finished development of Manchester Distillery. The distillery resides at the Factory on Willow Street, a 100,000-square-foot space for creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Through her many projects, Liz's mission is to craft experiences that transport individuals beyond their daily routines and provide a sanctuary for life's complexities. She spends a great deal of time on her passions for the arts by assisting nonprofits as an active participant on boards and committees. Most recently, she created an artist-in-residence program at the Factory on Willow, which has hosted local and international artists. She also remains committed to making sure public art in Manchester thrives through many different, different initiatives, such as the Bear Bench Project, Cat Alley Reboot, and the Manchester City Mural Project. Committed to strengthening New Hampshire's startup community, she is a general partner of the Millworks Fund II, a triple bottom line investment fund focused on growing the New Hampshire tech ecosystem. Liz is also the vice chairman of the St. Mary's Bank Credit Union. She was co-founder of Minim Inc. and she attended community college and continued to Worcester Polytech Institute where she earned a BS in CS in 2018. Liz lives in Manchester, New Hampshire with her husband Jeremy and their three children. In January, she was also named to Business NH Magazine's 40 Influential Leaders list. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Whew. I do not know how you are even standing after uh, hearing all that. It's so much for us to dive into. So before we get to all that, I, you know, this is all about the entrepreneurial journey. So I won't really want to start at the beginning. What were you like as a kid? And oh what, what were your dreams as a kid? You know, I came from a different lifestyle than most people think I did. Uh, We were a low-income family. We had food insecurity. But the one thing in my life that was always a constant was arts. You could open a book, crack it open, and you'd no longer be where you were. You were transported to a brand new world, which was fabulous because I needed that world when I was a kid. Um, You know, band became my sanctuary. The theater, I was a thespian. Like, all of the arts. (laughs) All of the arts were so important to me because it became these transformative places where I could become whatever I wanted to be. And so I guess you can keep on hearing that over and over again, kind of in my story is like, I can become whatever I want to be. And the reason I can do that is because what I've, what I've learned from theater, from band, 
and from books. And so to come from a background of uh, where food insecurity is part of your life and um, poverty and to build up to being able to go to Worcester Polytechnic Institute, that's quite a feat in itself. What allowed you to make that leap and what continued to make you to be driven to achieve that? Yeah, so I think this is really important, and you hear this a lot in stories of people that kind of overcome adversity, Mm -hmm. and they have their people, right? And I had my person. That was my grandfather. He took me to my first performing arts show. Um, And so while my mother lived in poverty and we had food insecurity, I always knew if I was with my grandpa and my grandma that all of those things that were missing at my home would be there, whether it be love, whether it be food, uh, whether it be clothing or a roof over my head sometimes. So I think that the reason why I was able to overcome that adversity was because I had a wonderful grandfather and grandmother who cared deeply about me. Um, so m- most important thing is to have your person yeah. and your people. And so WPI, mm-hmm. you're there. And what, you know, what were your, your goals at that point? I was pretty lucky as a kid. I was kind of smart. So I always did pretty well in school. Um, I was top of the class. I didn't put on there. I made a small trip to the University of Arizona for a short period, and it was a lot of fun. I did band there. (laughs) Um, But I needed to find my safe place again. So I moved back to Cape Cod. I was living in Arizona at the time, moved back to Cape Cod to live with my grandparents, went to community college. I spent a little bit longer in community college than most people do. Um, And my grandfather was really instrumental in me kind of thinking about what I wanted to do. I took physics, I took programming, I took calculus, and the the college was kind of like, you're not like our normal kid. At the same time, I was also taking business classes. My grandfather was like, you need to become a business person. And I was like, but these other ones are so exciting because I learned so much over there. Um, And at the same time, it was when the web was like booming and HTML and, you know, all of these fun things were coming out. And I just knew that like, if I wanted to do my craft, that I could do it and be a geek. And that was pretty cool. (laughs) And so it sounds like you went through this really transformative experience while in college, which is ultimately what you hope your college experience is going to be, right? Set you up. Um, At the same time, you you meet someone there that (laughs) also transforms your life. So I got to say that I did not meet him until after I graduated. Oh, okay. I guess I made an assumption there. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Jeremy and I both entered WPI in 2000. I was a transfer student. Very unusual, but I did do it in two years. Usually it takes transfer students at WPI three years to do. Um, I did crew. I did lens and lights. uh, I did a bunch of things, and I had a lot of fun there, too. But I also worked a lot harder than I did at University of Arizona. Um, I graduated from there and knew that that wasn't, like, the end of my education. Well, and at this point, it kind of is because I didn't continue with another degree. But I started working at the web development office at the school. Um, I wanted to get an MBA. And so I thought that that was the best path forward. I had no money. (laughs) So I had to figure out some way to pay for it. And the school would if I worked there. So I applied for this job. And this little uh, intern interviewed me. And he was (laughs) smart. And he was attractive. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is trouble. (laughs) Um, The gentleman that had the job before me actually um, 
had dated an intern and that became a rule in the office after that, that that was not allowed. So Jeremy and I had a little secret fling for oh a while. Elicit. <laughs> it was, it was so much fun. We, you know, we'd sneak around and we'd kiss each other in the back and <laughs> we'd flirt. Um, but, you know, that's where we met and that's where we really started our relationship. But that, uh, kind of at that point, someone was like, ah, what's going on? It's actually funny. If you've ever seen um, the movie The Social Network. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Mark Zuckerberg's on um, the live journal talking yes. about one of the girls. He actually, Jeremy asked me out for the first time on live journal so oh, wow. everyone would know about it. <laughs> so like super geeky, right? But so much fun, so much was happening. So he decided he was going to quit the web office and start working at Dyn full time. Back then it was Dyn DNS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest is history. And so that history included moving to Manchester. I mean, there's lots to love about Manchester, but it's not especially back then, perhaps a destination spot. So what brought you to to Manchester um, and want to stay? You know, I think that you'll look through and through at our relationship over and over again, and family is super important to Mm -hmm. us. So um, he came back here to be closer to his family, but also like he had really great affinity to Manchester. Uh, Bob Baines was his principal. He was now the mayor of Manchester. Um, and, you know, I think that just like Dean came in, like you look at this small little mill town and yeah, just think about opportunity, mm-hmm. things that can be here, ways you can improve it. And if you don't, then, you know, take a double look because there's places that you can see opportunity and there's places that you can find that you can make differences. And so, I mean, lots has obviously been written about Dine, one of the big success stories of a startup that then goes on to, to be sold to Oracle. You were there in the early days of Dime and through. Um, what did you learn from your experiences there in you know, helping with your roles in, in the growth of that company that you then brought to your future roles, especially as someone who's been very supportive, not only the arts, but of startup culture here in New Hampshire? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, every job has two things in common. One, that you have to work with other people and that you will do better if you bring creativity to your job. And sometimes creativity isn't what you think. You might be a programmer that has to figure out a different algorithm, right? You might be a designer that needs to design a different graphic. But there's always ways that you need to use creativity in the way that you live your life, whether Mm -hmm. it's dealing with people, whether it's, you know, choosing how you sell, even sometimes though, I'm sure I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this a little bit with finance, you gotta be creative, otherwise you don't get anywhere. So just thinking about things differently and really using your mind in a creative way can really set a great foundation for anything you wanna do. So when you start looking at post-dine life and looking at what you wanna do, I mean, you and Jeremy were young parents, um, you had this successful company that was grown and celebrated, and, 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 and you know now you're looking at next phases. What did that look like for you in terms of what you want to do, and then how did it become all these different directions that there are a lot of people that will complain about a vibrancy of a community 
and then there is quite a different person like yourself that does something about it. Um, so what did that look like for you? You know, there's so many Genesis stories to that, right? There's so many different points and places that people made a difference. Yeah. Georgie Regan once said to me, I was pulling this group of uh, leaders together in the city, arts and culture leaders, and like they were all sitting there because I was there and it was great, but we weren't doing anything. And finally one day she looks at me and she goes, Liz, Liz, you just have to do something. Like, we can't just all get together and talk. Like, we have to do something. And, you know, I think that that really resonated with me. Like, you know, I had the opportunity to be on the board at the music school, and I had the opportunity to be on the board of the Courier, and I got to see, and at the Institute of Art, and I got to see all of these great institutions, but that resonated in my head. Like, you've just got to do something. And so, you know, I like to tell people that too. Like, you know what? Just do something. So, And we'll be right back. Are you looking for quality networking in a fun environment? Join Business NH Magazine for the return of the ultimate Biz NH Bash at the McAuliffe Shepherd Discovery Center in Concord on March 28th. Meet leaders from New Hampshire's 2023 Top 100 Private Companies, Top Women-Led Businesses, Top Family-Owned Businesses, and New Hampshire's Startup Stars, plus the 40 influential leaders in New Hampshire as featured in the January issue of Business NH Magazine. Enjoy delicious appetizers and cocktails, explore museum exhibits, take fun photos in our photo booth, and mingle with the stars of New Hampshire business while gazing at the stars. For more information, visit businessnhmagazine.com slash events. Sponsored by Northeast Delta Dental, Merchants Fleet, Eversource, Ledyard National Bank, and UHY Advisors. And we're back. And we're continuing our origin journey of, as it were, of, with Liz Hitchcock. So, Liz, we were just talking about, um, you know, kind of getting to that tipping point of, you're on all these boards for the arts and realizing you want to do something more. And so can you talk about what you identified as that, that first something more you wanted to do and what it, how you went about doing it? So um, right towards the end of that kind of period of my life, I was on, um, for a while, the Leadership Greater Manchester um, Committee. And I ran Arts and Culture Day. And Arts and Culture Day was fabulous. You know, we talked about all the things you were talking about in the beginning. They take people out of a place in their life when they need to be taken out of that place. Right. They bring vibrancy to a community. They add to economic development in ways that people just don't understand. They help with creativity. Like, there's all of these great things about arts and culture. And we would sit around and we'd kind of create these days and we'd go to the palace and we'd go to the courier and there's all these amazing institutions in town, the music school and the Institute of Art was here at the time. And um, we didn't have a Gibson's. We didn't have like a place for our literature arts to live. And so that really became very apparent to me that that was a hole in our community that we needed to fix. At the same time, Jeremy and I were traveling around the world to these crazy places like Egypt and Australia. And every time we went to those places, we bought a book, a picture book for our kids. Aww. And we're mm. like, gosh, you know. And when you mention Gibson's, you mean Gibson's Bookstore on Concord. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we were like, gosh, you know, like we keep on saying how Manchester needs downtown retail. And Gibson's has been 
a cornerstone, an anchor in Concord for years. We need that cornerstone. We need that anchor in Manchester. So that's how the genesis of Buckery ended up happening, was that we took all these kind of ideas from all of these places we went, and we realized that that could be our anchor retail downtown. Now, I agree with you. I mean, the the death of bookstores across our country, and, you know, I live in Rochester. We don't really have a bookstore like that in our community. And I, I, going to the bookstore was always such an event as a kid. I was such a geek, in, you know, for it, and still am. Uh, and I love going into a Gibson's or a Toadstool or, and now the bookery, uh, which is fantastic to have. But a bookstore is no guarantee at all um, that it's going to succeed. And yet, here we are, how many years later now? Uh, we're, what, six? Six years. The bookery is still going strong. Definitely has become that part of your vision you wanted of being that instrumental part of, of Main Street in Manchester. What were the lessons that you took from other bookstores? How did you go about creating a bookstore that was more than a bookstore? I wanted it to be magical. So when you walk in, the first thing you see is our hexagon bookcases on each side. And then you look up and you see a chandelier made with book pages. You go into a room and you find a full tree with twinkling lights at the top or another room and you've got flying books. We have a small area where we have a faux fireplace and you can sit in front of the fireplace and read a book. You know, I just... I think that taking people out of the world that they're in and believing that fantastic can exist can happen, whether it's through computers, books, performance, or spaces. So that kind of brought us into like my thoughts about how do I create more spaces? So right next door to the bookery is Cat Alley. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell us what your involvement was with that project in, in kind of redoing that alleyway? Yeah, well, this is where teams come to be super important <laughs> because I couldn't do it all. Uh, my team really, like, we, we looked at it. We knew it needed to be cleaned up. We wanted to add more light. Um, and so we worked through the process and we decided that it was time for a reboot on what had existed. Obviously, there was iconic cat artwork in that alleyway that Dick Anagnos did. But it was just time for us to clean it up. There was graffiti. And so we took some of the iconic ones and we kept them. So you can still find some of the older ones there. But we also upgraded all the artwork at that time so that, you know, people have to understand that as much as we all love murals, murals are not permanent. They're temporary. They're temporary art. The murals chip, murals fall down. And so, you know, this is like the next reboot. And there will be another reboot again. There has to be because that's the nature of a mural. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that there's so much more public art in Manchester. I live just outside of Manchester, so I'm, I'm there are a lot of our offices in Manchester. Um, but I just I love seeing all the different art, you know, on the side of a parking garage is a huge uh, mural that has Manchester written across By it. By James Chase, amazing yes, artwork. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's some uh, down in Amoskeg uh, Arms Park, right, also right along the Chase. river. Yeah, yeah, and then underneath the bridge. And it's and just Jill amazing Dittenbauer. to see all this public yeah. art. And so um, any of those projects that you've been involved with or any other, I know we mentioned a few other projects that you're involved with around the city. So originally, uh, one of my interests, I, I sat on the um, Arts Commission in Manchester. Um, and so we actually did place two pieces of art during my time there, Vivace and then the uh, Crosswalk, which is on granite and old granite. Mm-hmm. And Vivace is in, um, in front of the SNHU arena. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, at the same time, I was thinking, we got to catalog all this art. So art isn't just like brand new art. We've got all these statues in our city. 
we've got so many statues and that's beautiful art. So like we need to kind of catalog that. So we started to catalog that on a Google map. And then I was like, but we don't have a lot of murals. Like what's up with the city? We've got all these blank walls. All it is is a big canvas. We need to start putting art on it. So if you look at the site of Bunnies, we went ahead and worked with Bunnies to go, uh, and that's in downtown uh, on yeah, Elm Street. Hanover. Or, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, Bunnies on Elm Street. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, we worked with our artist in-house to come up with some artwork for there. Um, so that kind of born was the birthplace of uh, the Manchester Mural Project. And so it still exists. We're still, you know, thinking about how we help people put murals together. And what's really cool to me is, you know, we kind of had this idea. And then James Chase and Jill Dittenbauer, they took it and they ran. So James helped with the, all the projects over by Pearl Street lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an amazing amazing project and then jill did the big um things that hold up the road underneath the bridge street yes yeah so you know like i think that's really probably the piece that excites me most is seeing these people that were kind of like ah, that are doing it themselves now right so and it's just exciting and it just brightens up the city. I just think I love it. Every Absolutely. time I see a new one, I'll see a new one. I'm like, oh, I love that. It's new. <laughs> it's, it's a mark of a vibrant city. Exactly. And they're yeah. celebrating art publicly. Yeah. So you've got the book re-going. That would be enough for a lot of people. Like, I've got a successful bookstore going, and that takes a lot to make it successful. But you hardly stop there. So can you talk about your next project? And can you talk about the philosophies behind your projects? And what you're trying to achieve with this collection of businesses you've built. You know what? I'll tell you a small side story on that one. Right now I'm trying to figure that out. So if you guys want to tell me what my passion (laughs) is, I will take it because like, this is like, I I can't tell you, I can't tell you like why or how, except for the fact that they all come back to experience. So uh, when I was on the board at NHIA, students would drive by this old derelict building down on Willow Street. One time, Dick Anagnos took my husband and I by to see this old building on Willow Street. He's like, you guys should buy it from me. He owned it at the time. Um, And it just like resonated with me. Every time I heard someone talk about it, a friend of mine, an artist, was looking at like putting a shop there, like a entire studio there. So like every time I saw it, it resonated with myself, it resonated with other artists. And I was like, oh, that building, that building's pretty special. Um, so we looked at it for a while. We looked at it back when we were at Dine, and then we looked at it again a few years later. And I started to really think about how, you know, we could we could make something there. We could make something valuable and that could change the city's trajectory in many ways. Um, so as I started to think about it, I was thinking about, uh, where do these artists go from NHIA afterwards? They, a lot of them were talking about moving to Portland or down to Providence. And I was like, you need to stay here. You can't go anyplace else. <laughs> like, we need you in Manchester. Um, so at that point, I was kind of like, all right, so we'll do live workspace for artists. And I was higher than the moon, right? I was so excited. Uh, we're going to do live workspaces. And then I talked with some people that have done artist live workspaces. And they're like, oh, Liz, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard. They're, they're a protected class. And they often live below means, but to get them to fill out all that paperwork, sometimes they won't do that. And I was like, oh, gosh. So <laughs> um, 
what do I do with all this space? So, and at the same time, we have COVID, right? Right. So we're building this project in the middle of COVID. No idea what's going to happen with the world or the future. And we're like, oh my gosh, like we've, we've got to make a decision on this. So I finally decided that we were going to change more of it into residential. We'd go with market rate, but in like kind of as I was debating this back and forth with myself, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like this was supposed to be my artist's colony. So we started the artist in residence program there because it kind of took the idea paired it back a little bit and offered this a better experience for some people. So uh, we have 61 uh, live workspaces and 16 Airbnbs, which are really important because all of our live workspaces are studios. So if mom and dad come or if the kids come, depending on if you're empty nesters, like you need that extra space. So you can always rent a room there. We have the venue, which is a 200 person wedding venue. Um, that also often uses the Airbnb. So it's kind of become like this little, and we also have double midnight comics. That was a fun one. So when they came to my team and they said they wanted to be at the factory on Willow, my team was like, well, it's for artists. And I was like, <laughs> what do you think comic books That's are? right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris and Scott um, have been an incredible, incredible addition to the artistry at the factory on Willow. And Double Midnight Comics has continued to explode since they've been there. I'm very excited for them. And so what? it seems like you don't have a lot of trepidation jumping into areas that you may not have experience with this. I mean, it's not like everyone goes, I'm going to open this retail operation or I'm going to renovate this into apartment and artists. And what, when you have these ideas, what is the thought processes you do go through and do you have moments of doubt and how do you overcome them? Because you've obviously made these successful operations in areas that are so disparate. I think it comes down to, you know, I do have a lot of grit, right? That childhood of mine, it was valuable. Um, I loved it. One time we were on vacation for Dine, actually, a baller's club, which was like the the president's club mm-hmm. at um, Dine. And it was a wavy day, but I'd never been out on a pa- uh, one of the standing boards before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paddle, yeah. Paddle yeah. board. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to try this. And one of the salespeople had brought their mom, and she was sitting on the beach, and you know, I'd get up on the paddleboard, I'd start to paddle, I'd fall over. I'd get back up on the paddleboard, I'd start to paddle, I'd fall over. And she goes, Liz, I have never seen someone try so hard <laughs> with such a large smile on their face. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think that's kind of a good example of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, you're never going to see me try so much. And I'm still going to have that smile on my face because that's the only way you can go through life. So in addition to the bookery and the factory on Willow, uh, you have a distillery. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, the campus of the factory um, is not done yet. Wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> More coming later. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, but one of the things that became really apparent to me was, you know, we've got a lot of senses there. We've got visual arts. We've got uh, performing arts. Joan Brodsky's brought her dance troupe over to the venues before. 
you didn't have anything that you tasted or you smelled. And as we were thinking about how we kind of like created that experience, we realized that we needed something that brought in more senses. So if you go to the store, you'll smell, you know, the distillation process, mm. you can taste the liquor. Um, and so that was really important to me to add those further experiences to what I was giving people. Mm-hmm. And so when you thought about, okay, I want to provide this experience and it's going to be a distillery, what did you do to bring together the right people and what was the kind of product you wanted to produce? What was the thought process that you went into in terms of what that distillery was going to be? So I knew I wanted it to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that I wanted it to be uh, a place where people could hang out. Um, And I knew I wanted to make gin. (laughs) (laughs) And we have that. Um, So what we did was we got the equipment before COVID. It took a really long time. We decided we were going to do a metal building. And that's when Amazon was building all of their metal uh, warehouses. And Mm -hmm. that took a really long time. Uh, But finally, we got our metal box up. We got our equipment in our metal box. And then we realized, oh, we need need a distiller, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) A little little detail. Kind of important for this whole distillery (laughs) thing. So we put out a national call for uh, distillers. And we got lucky. That's the only way I can put it. We met this gentleman who is kind of geeky like us, but also like super into his craft. And I think that's the most important thing. When you're a creative or a crafter or an artist, you've got to be super into what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to be good at it. And he loves distilling. Uh, he started out as a, a teacher, uh, and he ended up going over to Scotland and getting his distiller's degree, uh, came back, started working at Blue Coat uh, Distillery in Philadelphia, where they had award-winning and on our shelves in New Hampshire gin. He then went down to another um, distillery that was a startup distillery called Asbury. He ended up winning an international award for his gin. And I'm like, oh, this guy's this is going to be my guy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're super, super pumped. Uh, we're coming up into the season of those awards. We are on shelves with our gin. You can find Botanica Number no. 9 gin in New Hampshire liquor stores and many, many restaurants. Um, and then you can also find Workhorse Vodka. Excellent. So with all these businesses, um, with the uh, board work that you do, you've got a family, you've got children. How do you do this all and find the time to head all these organizations? How do you manage your time to make sure that you're getting everything done? What's, what's the secret sauce? It's all about the team, right? Whether it's your partner, your au pair, or the team that you get to work with every day. My operators, whether it's Bill, who's the distiller, or Cassie, who's the manager of the bookstore, or Marlena, who's running the venues, or Dave, who is our artist, or Megan and Julia, who are our finance team. Like, I don't do this alone. And if you thought I did, then you're crazy. <laughs> um, so it's really about having the right team around you, around people with people that you trust. Um, you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Very and true. The projects that you've taken on, I mean, it's obvious that I would think a thread that goes through them is contributing to the vibrancy of the community in which you live, you know, in ways that interest you and think would interest others. But um, it's not just that you've started all these businesses. 
You've also been very key in supporting the startup culture in Manchester in general. Can you talk about your work in funding, advising other entrepreneurs and why you've been interested in that work? I think it comes down to experience for me. And I really believe so many of the products that they show me could change the world. Mm -hmm. That was how I felt about Dine when when we first started talking about like, whoa, you can go to a modem in the middle of nowhere and like know what's happening there. And it happens all the time and they change the DNS all the time. So I I think that I just genuinely really am a hype person, whether it's (laughs) Manchester or an entrepreneur or... um, a city. I already said a city, but you know, like I'm just a hype person in general. And so what are some of the key, you know, in working with entrepreneurs, what's some of the key advice you would give someone who's thinking about starting a business, especially in the Manchester area, New Hampshire? What would you, what are some key tidbits you would share with them? Uh, The first one is make sure you're passionate about it. The second one is find your opposite and they're your number two. That would be it. And after that, you've started your team. You know, you're passionate about it. If you're passionate about it and you have a good team, the money will follow. And what do you look for when you're making investments and choosing to be an advisor to someone? What inspires you to want to help? It's really the person in the team. You know, like I get behind a person in a team all day long. Mm -hmm. And that's not the best way to invest. You should be looking at the product, (laughs) the product market fit, the all of the bits and pieces. But um, I really invest in people. And so I hate to ask this because I, I, at the beginning, we already gave a laundry list of all your accomplishments, but we know that people <laughs> that are invested in doing um, serial entrepreneurship, as it were, rarely rest on their laurels. So what's next? Oh, <laughs> I can't tell you that. Oh, That's an industry secret. Ah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> You know, I think you'll continue to see me do development. I do have a very large love for creating experiences for people. And mm-hmm. I found out with the factory on Willow that, you know, you can transcend a computer screen and you can transcend a performing arts center t- and make it all the way into some place that someone lives. Their everyday life can be transformed by what you create. So I, I think you'll probably see something in that direction. Um, but that's TBD, right? It and is. with that, do you have a vision where you hope to see Manchester in the future as Manchester's hype woman? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think all the pieces are lining up right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to have the housing downtown. That was something that everyone always said that we needed in order to grow our retail. That's really exciting. I think that you see with the Build Back Better grant that we can garner federal funds in order to help grow our city. I think when you look at what Dean Kamen's doing with all of his bio work, like if we can make a real cluster here in Manchester, we will be extremely important for the entire U.S. So, you know, I, I think the sky's the limit for Manchester. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for your time today and for sharing your fascinating story with us. Uh, Really appreciate it. We cannot wait to see what that TBD looks like. (laughs) So uh, we will be checking back in. (laughs) Thank you. It was great to spend some time with you guys. Thank you. It was great to talk with you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Christine Kerrigan. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. Music